Good morning. Morning. It's good. It's good to be here. Is it good to be here? Yeah? Awesome. All right, we've got party section over there. Hey, welcome back. Good. I'm, I'm great. Thanks. I'm good. Um, I'm sensing that we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we didn't do this at, at 9, but I'm really, I'm really feeling the Lord is, wants to heal people. Um, we've been sensing that up here, <clears throat> as has been seen. And Luke prayed during pastoral prayer for that as well. So uh, for those who have not yet experienced healing this morning, um, we usually do this at the end, but we're going to do it now. When Jesus speaks, we, our structure submits to him, right? Not many of you agree with that, but that's okay. It's true. <laughs> it's true, and I say it is. So uh, I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing. And anybody in here who still has pain, physical pain, doesn't matter what it is, or you have emotional pain, I want you to stand up. Don't be shy. There's no shame or condemnation here. Jesus is here. And where Jesus is, there's no shame or condemnation. That's it. There's more of you. Okay, good. This is an act of faith that you're standing now. Jesus does the incredible. He does the impossible. It doesn't matter what your ailment is, okay? It doesn't matter. And I don't heal people. Jesus does. We just feel led, <clears throat> and so we obey. So for those who were at nine and did not receive from this, they will receive from now as well. Um, so let me pray over you. And all those who are sitting who are healthy and well, just extend a hand towards someone close to you, okay? This is a little bit out of people's comfort zones. That's okay. Jesus heals, doesn't matter how uncomfortable you are. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for what you're doing here this morning. God, you are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means you healed yesterday, today, and you will heal forever, Lord. Lord, there are people here in your midst who need your healing touch. We call upon you as our healer who has healed in our midst and we ask you to do it again. Or from here all the way to the back in the center section and on the right here, just heal, heal right now. doesn't matter how physically someone is in pain, Lord, heal that person right now in Jesus' name. From the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, may they experience complete healing in them. And Lord, where there's emotional pain, be their healer right now as well in the deepest recesses of their soul. Holy Spirit, come and invade these people's bodies right now. Thank you, Jesus. And we believe in faith that you are the healer. We say no to cancer. Cancer must leave in Jesus' name. So go right now. Those who have chemo, we say be healed. Those bodies be healed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Whew, amen. Okay, you guys can sit down or stay standing. doesn't matter to me. Thank you, Jesus. Keep you doing what you're doing. Okay, where do we go from here? Should I still preach? Okay. And all the elders are going, what is he doing? <laughs> oh, hey, we're at the halfway point of our, of our psalm series. That's incredible. What does that actually mean? 
What? It means we're in August, right? August long weekend, that's ridiculous. This summer's going by way too fast. For me, some, of, some people in the 9 a.m. said amen because they like fall, but that's okay. Um, I, we're halfway through our summer. That's incredible. You know, I, I spoke about four weeks ago, and uh, I, had, I had mentioned that one of my hopes for you in this series, in this summer, is that you guys would learn to become psalmist. Anybody remember that? Some of you, okay? Many of you, uh, I had asked that you guys just learn to become a psalmist. And what does that, what does that really mean? It, it means slowing your life down. Slow your life down. It means you get alone with Father God, with, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and, and you get a piece of paper and a pen and you write. And you just write. Write what's going on in your soul. Okay? It's putting to paper the thoughts of your heart. Becoming a psalmist. Okay, so if that was a hard question, then maybe, maybe this question will be easier. How many of you have at least taken some extra intentional time to be with Jesus this summer? Anybody? Good. That's good. Remember that the purpose of the Psalms is, is to slow us down, like I said, okay? It's to take us to, to deeper places with the Father, they're all about taking time to rest deeply in his presence. And, and, and it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't. Just slow down. Okay, the Psalms are about trusting in God for things that you just can't control. Right? They're, they're about joyful surrender to him. And, and they're meant to recalibrate and restore and rejuvenate your dry and weary souls. See, guys, I just don't ask these questions for fun, okay? I don't. I want to see people grow deeper in the Trinity. We all want to see people grow deeper, okay? I want, I want you to experience and encounter your Heavenly Father who knows you more than you know yourself, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. I want you to be serious about cultivating that kingdom lifestyle so that you know His love for you. And you know your identity in Christ. And so that you begin realizing that God wants to accomplish the impossible through you. He does. And that comes through a lifestyle of cultivating intimacy with with the Father. Okay. Let's move into the psalm. So this psalm that we're going to talk about today is one of the most popular psalms ever written. Okay, one of 150 popular songs, right? Nobody caught that. There's 150 songs. They're all popular. Oh boy, tough crowd. Okay, but this one is a good one. Okay, Psalm. Well, I won't tell you yet. But this song's been written about. It's been it's been sung about uh, over all of history. Okay, <clears throat> it's been read aloud in hospital rooms, and even Jewish families uh, would put this psalm up in delivery rooms for moms, and they would have it in their baby carriages, and they put it in the walls of the kids' bedrooms. It was all over the place. Famous missionaries like David Livingston read this psalm over and over and over again before he left his home country and went to Africa in 1840, somewhere in there. And this psalm has really been inspiring to me too. It, it is so rich with, with promise and comfort 
an immense blessing. So let's go there now, okay? You're itching to know what Solomon is. It's Psalm 121. 121, let's go there now. It's a great psalm, and I'm going to read. It's up on the screen for you, but I'm going to read from uh, the New King James Version, okay? Here it is. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help, or from where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. And he who keeps you will not slumber. Amen. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. All evil. He shall preserve your soul, and the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, and even forevermore. Amen. That is good. That's really good. So <clears throat> this psalm that we just read is, is in a section of the book of Psalms called the Songs of, De- of Ascent. Okay, there's, about, there's 15 of them from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And many scholars say that this grouping of psalms was written for uh, a group of pilgrims who were on a journey up to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, for one of, the, one of the many festivals that they had throughout the year. Now, Jerusalem was nestled in the hills, and, and someone went on your travels, they had to travel from the valley into these hills where the temple was. And on the journey ahead in these hills, were lo- they were loaded with thieves and robbers and and wolves who would wait for these pilgrims to come toward Jerusalem. And when they came close, they would rob them, they would ransack them and steal all their stuff. Okay, it was not the easiest of journeys to make. It was actually quite dangerous. So it is possible that the psalmist could be looking up at the hills and, and knowing that they're home to these robbers and, their, and these thieves and, and wolves and, and undoubtedly know that he'll be attacked or his group would be soon. And so he looks to the hills in angst and anxiety and says, ah, where, where does my help come from? Oh, it comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Yet, another possibility, and in my opinion, I, I prefer this possibility, could be that the psalmist on his journey looked up to the mountains and he saw it as a place of refuge knowing that the hills were a place of safety and and beauty, and that those hills served as a reminder of the majestic God who was his help. And the God who made those mountains made the heavens and the earth, and that same God would help me too. You know, I love the mountains. Just after Sandra and I got married 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. We, we were living in Abbotsford, B.C. at the time. And we just got married, and we said, hey, we don't have many responsibilities. Let's move to Banff. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're irresponsible, you can move to Banff. That's not what I'm saying, okay? We just didn't have a lot of stuff going on. So we said, let's go. So we moved to Banff and had some friends who were already living there. We arrived, and I, I found a job at the Banff Springs Golf Course, 
and was up at 4.30 in the morning, every morning. And, and uh, what I like to do, what I love to do, was get up a little earlier, maybe half an hour or so, and I just go outside, outside the door, and just look at the mountains. You know, there's Rundle Mountain, and there's Sulphur Mountain, Cascade Mountain, and Tunnel Hill. It's called Tunnel Mountain, but it's really small. It was just beautiful, beautiful. There's nothing like it, nothing. And it was so quiet in the mornings, in those mornings. And yet when, the, when the, the light of dawn began to cover the skies above and began to illuminate these mountains, it was like the silence of those mountains spoke loudly about creator God and, and his beauty. It's like, how do you not look at those mountains and say, wow, with one spoken word, those things came to existence. Oh, that's so beautiful. There were mornings where I literally felt my breath taken away. It was just good. I can't help but think of the creator when I, when I look to the mountains, when I look to the hills. So regardless of what the psalmist has had in mind, <clears throat> whether the hills are a place of danger or a place of refuge, doesn't really matter for these purposes. What we do know, though, is that he was on a journey. He was on a pilgrimage of some kind, and he did face danger. And the psalm itself is left generic enough that anyone in history, everyone in this place, can identify with it. Because we're all on a journey, right? All of us are on a journey of life where there's ups and there's downs and good times and, and tough times. And we all come to points in our life where we ask the same question of the psalmist. You know, that, that question that has been echoed through the halls of eternity, halls of history. And I'm sure many of you have been asking this week and, or in this season of life. I have been. You know, where, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? You know, and the, the psalmist answers his own question really quickly. And he declares that his help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. And then we see that the psalm then takes a little turn into who it is addressing. And for the rest of the psalm, we, we, it's like he's speaking to another person. You know, like I mentioned before, and last time I, I preached, one of the keys to understanding the psalms is sometimes we see self-talk happening or kind of spirit to soul talk happening. And I think we see this here again, <clears throat> where the psalmist's spirit is speaking to his own soul. And he says this, he says, you know what, the journey ahead, whatever the journey looks like, though it's rough and, and hard, but remember, soul, God will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps your, he who keeps your soul will not slumber. He won't sleep. He's a keeper of your soul. He's your shade, and he'll protect you. The Lord will preserve you or keep you from all evil and will preserve you all the days of your life. So soul, take courage. Take courage. Now this psalm is, like I said, anybody can identify with this psalm. It's, it's incredibly encouraging and one of, the, one of deep blessing and promise. But... There are some issues, some definite issues that come up that you and I need to explore and understand 
for us to properly have a kingdom mindset when understanding and reading this psalm. <clears throat> so let's look at that question again. Where does your help come from? Where does it come from? Where do you look for? What, what, what do you look for? Who do you look for? This is a question that I ask myself, and, and like I said, maybe you've asked yourself this week or in this season you're in, all of us need help. We all do. And all of us are in need of more help sometimes than we think. We need help. So what are you going through right now? What challenges are you, are you walking through? What are your struggles or, or fears? It doesn't matter how big or how small the issue is. Not at all. We all have them at one time or another. So who is on your list when you need help? Is it your family or your friends or, or spouse or maybe it's yourself? Is God on that list? Is he? If we were honest with ourselves, how many of us would be able to, to put God at the top of that list when we need help. Who is your helper? Now, I'm sure, you know, most of you would say right away, well, of course God's my helper. Of course he is. I know that. But are you aware that there is a big difference between just knowing that God helps you and actually asking him to help you? There's a difference. It's like trying to find help through a myriad of different ways, either by helping yourself or, or having others help you, all the while knowing that this God you believe in, yeah, he's, he helps me. Yeah, he does. And yet never asking him to help you. It's, it's, a, it's a passive and disengaging kind of relationship. You know, our Father is relational and he's personable and very rarely violates our will. Very rarely. Our Father is, is an inviting God. And as much as He invites us to enter into relationship with you, He so desires that you invite Him into relationship with you. Just invite Him. Invite Him in. Okay, He's not going to come and barge in and take the reins of your circumstances. He could, and sometimes He, he will. But more often than not, he's, just, he's looking for that invitation. He desires that we invite him into, our, into that relationship. Let go of the reins. Just let go and ask him to help you. John Ogilvie shares a story about a conversation with a woman in his church. And he says, The other day, a woman came into my church and shared what she perceived to be an overwhelming problem. She was done in, she was tired, and, up, and uptight in meeting her family's needs. Why not let God help you? I asked. That's a strange way of putting it, she responded. Do you mean I have a choice? Yeah, I asserted with urgency. You have a decision to make. She says, are you going to manage this problem on your own or cry out to God for help? The woman was shocked. You're suggesting that I may be blocking God's efforts to help me? I've tried everything and everybody else. How do I get God to help me? And Ogilvy explained it this way. He says, when I let go of my own tenacious control of problematic people and situations, 
I lower the barrier I, I so often erect around my mind and my heart. He's never failed, God has never failed to give me supernatural power in response to a prayer of complete surrender. Just surrender. Give the reins over. So here's the thing. In order to live the reality of this psalm, there is, there is no one on this planet who can help you like the God who created it. Nobody. Okay, there's no one who can help you like the one who made those majestic mountains piercing the sky and the horizons. Nobody. Okay, there's no one else in your world who can help you like the Father in heaven who loves you more than you ever know. How do I, how do I know that? Ephesians 3.20. Okay, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more, and above all we ask for or imagine or even think. He could go way beyond that according to the power that's at work in us. God's power. That's how I know that he'll help us. Now don't believe the lie that says because you need God's help, ah, he's just a crutch. Okay, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. I have. Friends, God is not your crutch. Okay, Why not? Because in Christ, we are whole, okay? In Christ, we are perfect, and we're blameless. In Christ, we don't have a limp, amen? Yes, in Christ, we walk confidently because we are sons and daughters of the king. We are ambassadors of of a royal kingdom, and we are walking embassies of heaven. He is not your crutch, but he's the anchor of your soul and your firm foundation. Hebrews 6.19, for this hope, Christ, we have as an anchor of the soul. Not a crutch, an anchor to your soul. Both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So, who is your active helper? Who is he? The answer is pretty clear. Okay, let's keep going here. After the psalmist declares who is our helper, <clears throat> he, is, he, he moves into some beautiful declarations about, about God and his promises. Okay, it says six times in six verses, from verse 3 to verse 8, the psalmist declares something magnificent about God. Magnificent. He says, God is your keeper, he watches over you. He, he preserves you. He protects you. These all mean the same thing. And there's huge emphasis here on this promise by how many times it's mentioned. Okay, he says he will not let your foot slip. He is a God who doesn't sleep okay, and keeps watch over you during your nighttime hours. So be at peace when you sleep. Be at peace during your nighttime hours. He's your shade. He protects you from the sun and from the moon. Commentator Derek Kidner gives a helpful uh, commentary on that word in verse 6, and he says, uh, what you have here in verse 6 is a pair of complete opposites, the sun and the moon, to include everything in between. 
So from the rising of the sun to the, to the rising of the moon, God says, I will protect you from everything in between those things. Everything. You will be preserved from evil. The NIV says he will keep you from all harm. All harm. That's amazing. Now, I'm fully aware that the silence in the room does not compare to the thoughts going on in your head right now. How could this be possible? How is that possible? How is it possible for the psalmist to say such things? How is it possible that God is my keeper, the watcher, guardian of my life? How is it possible that, that this is true when I'm going through this crisis in my life? Or all this pain, how is that psalmist nobody's talking about? Bad stuff still happens. Still happens to Christians. Christians die, right? We die. Temporarily, we go to heaven, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, how are people, how are you and I protected like the psalmist talks about? It doesn't make sense. So, Something important to remember, ask ourselves when reading and and soaking in the Bible, and this is important, is when you come across what seems to be a contradiction, okay, into what you're reading and what is actually happening, happening in your life, there's a certain posture that you and I would be wise to take, okay? So when something doesn't make sense, such as perhaps this passage, we need to take a little breather, okay? Just... Take a step back, get some perspective, and understand that the Bible is not just some pie-in-the-sky sayings, okay? They're the words of a living God, written down on paper for you and I to understand. Every one of us can understand Scripture if you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Hear this. When our experience does not line up with what Scripture says, the Bible trumps. It's not, a, it, it, it's, what I'm saying is, it's not that your experience is invalid, okay? Not at all. They're the words of the living God, Scripture. These words are true. It's just a matter of your perspective, okay? Your experience is legitimate. It's your perspective and how you're seeing the Scripture. So then how... Do I understand these words in light of what I may be walking through right now? How are you to understand these words in light of what you're walking through? The verse says here that God will not allow my foot to be moved. It seems to say that I literally won't trip. No, that can't be true. And the Lord will keep me from all evil, all harm. Evil's a better rendition. It seems to say that nothing bad will happen to me. But that, it can't mean that. We all know that there's no immunity to trials in life, amen? Yeah, many of us are experiencing those. We all face them. So how do we understand this? Let me answer this first by reminding you that in Christ Jesus, those who call themselves Christ followers are a kingdom people. We are a kingdom people. Okay, we were sinners, who were saved by grace and have been ushered into a heavenly kingdom. We are now saints, okay? We are princes and princesses who sometimes just don't get it right. We're saints who are seated in the heavenly realms right now. 
Ephesians 1, with Jesus. We have a new nature, a kingdom nature. And this means that you and I think differently than people without faith in Christ. We are people who talk differently, who, who walk differently, who, who act differently. And I say we are out of faith because we need to be, okay? So having a kingdom mindset means that we are a people of, king, of heaven's kingdom. And that means that everything we do, everything we say, everything we think comes from that perspective of that kingdom, okay? We have a heavenly mindset, not an earthly one. And it means in everything we look through, we look with the glasses of heaven, glasses of eternity in mind, okay? That is our reality, okay? That which we see here does not last. It doesn't last. See, the person without faith in Christ sees only with their physical eyes. That's all they can see. And all the issues happening is what, in this life, that's what those eyes see. But people of heaven's kingdom read these verses with the eyes of the heart. And we believe that what God protects us from and all the evil we are protected from is not necessarily the tem temporary pains and trials, though he can do that. Okay? He can do that. But more importantly, he keeps us from all the evil that the enemy of our souls tries to go after. The enemy prowls around full-time looking for someone to devour. Yeah, that passage is actually talking about Christians. He looks for our souls to destroy. His job, the enemy's job, is to, is to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us completely. So what the psalmist is saying is that the journey ahead of me may be a treacherous one, may be filled with danger and, and crisis and maybe death, but my Father will protect my soul. And he will preserve and keep my soul from danger. I will withstand all the enemy's schemes of my soul. I will be protected from the destroyer and the one who throws arrows of lies and deceit at me. And who tries his best to distract me and take my eyes off of Jesus and look at my situation. And not look to heaven, the protector and keeper of my soul. And the psalmist would say that he trusts, if it was written, he would say, 1 Peter 2.25, this is what you and I could say, that the Father is my shepherd, he's my overseer and guardian of my soul. You will not be lost. He has you in his hands. And the psalmist says, I will not be shaken by what happens around me because I know that he will keep me and protect me in here. I know it. And that's how you and I can understand that psalm in the midst of our life's trials. But where I want to end up here this morning over the next number of moments is, is answering this question. And the question is, how was the psalmist so confident in his creator? How? How could, it, how could he answer so quickly that God was his helper and his ultimate protector from all evil and harm? How, how did he do that? How was he so convinced and convicted by that? 
And I believe the answer is actually right here in the song. And it's no coincidence that it's the very first thing he says in the psalm. It's one brief phrase that sets the course of his whole life and will set the course of your life too. Five words. I will lift my eyes. I will lift my eyes. Friends, this, this is significant. When you're faced with all the challenges that come your way in life, where are you looking? Where are you looking? To whom are you looking? And where are you going first? This is crucial. Where are your eyes looking in the midst of the junk, in the midst of the trials and tribulations? Where are they focused? I want to do a really quick flyover of some verses that, that talk about this, okay? Just to give us perspective about our eyes. I'm going to go quickly so you can, if you want, just write down the, the, the references. <clears throat> There's like seven of them. Psalm 34, verse 5. Okay, so important. They looked to him, okay, eyes looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Psalm 123, verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Daniel 4.34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, pagan king, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. Huh. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Pause. Uh, what does that say? It says that any government official who does not know Jesus, any prime minister or president in this world can look to Jesus, who is his helper. Okay? They will. Our mayor of a city, others, you will have influence with them. So they will realize that God is a helper of their soul. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, look to God. The impossible can happen through you as it happened through Daniel. Be ready. John eleven forty one. 41. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Two more. John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And then finally, Acts 7.55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, I like this, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That was Stephen. There's many other verses in Scripture that talk about our eyes and where they need to look. Okay, the Bible's loaded with these verses about fixing our eyes on heaven. Okay, from psalmists to prophets, from pagan kings to King Jesus himself, they all turn their eyes toward heaven for perspective. 
Friends, the Father is worth looking at. He's worth looking at. Okay, Psalm 27, 4. The one thing I ask in the Lord, the one thing I seek, you may know this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all that is my life, to what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Oh, God is so worth looking at. He's so worth looking at. Friends, let me suggest to you that what you fix your eyes on sets the course of your life. What your, ga- what your eyes gaze upon determines your reality. Okay, And where or who you focus your eyes and attention on defines who you are. The eyes of the psalmist looked up. They looked up. He knew where to look. Okay, and he was so consumed with heaven and the Father that he was not bothered by anything that was happening around him. He wasn't bothered by it. He was so secure in the Father's love that it didn't matter what was happening around him. In fact, all the dangers of his journey were insignificant. They barely existed. He didn't even write about them. Sure, to the one who, who looks at life with earthly glasses will only see problems. Okay, but to the psalmist and to you and I, to kingdom people, we wear glasses of heaven and have that perspective, and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our creator will help us when we ask him. When you look to heaven, all fears leave. When you look to heaven, all lies from the devil disappear. When you focus on the Father, your perspective changes. Believe this. Okay, when you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you'll be so consumed with his presence that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter. You'll be so consumed as the psalmist was, and you'll say, my Father in heaven will protect me, and nothing will harm me, and he will preserve me, and he may preserve you physically too. All the days of my life, he will keep me from evil. When you know where to look, you will not be swallowed up by the mountains of crisis in your life because you know that in Christ, one word can make those mountains crumble. One word. If you focus on heaven, you will live a kingdom reality that says all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible. Wow. You will believe that your soul is protected from the evil one, and you will be able to say, like David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Yeah. For you are with me. That's why you can fear no evil. If your eyes are fixed upon your Father in heaven, you will believe, you will be convicted of and convinced that no grave trouble will overtake you. And you will declare to the adversary, to the devil, okay? You will declare these verses to that demonic world, Psalm 91, okay? Psalm 91, worship team, you guys come up. Starting in verse 9, with this perspective, you can believe this. It says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, 
even the Most High, your dwelling place, then what? No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, those are demons. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Amen. If you fix your gaze upon heaven, upon the Father, you will be so consumed with his presence that you will believe that no harm or no evil will befall you. And it's not just a belief, it is true. It is true. But what about the comment that people say that, if I'm honest, drives me nuts. I haven't heard any of you say it, so don't worry. But it's this. It says that people can be too heavenly minded for any earthly good. God. I could go off talk about that for another half day. I won't. But let me answer that quickly by saying this, okay? The more heavenly minded that you and I are, the more kingdom impact Jesus will have through you and I on this earth. Did you hear that? Your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Friends, you and I cannot have kingdom impact in our world, in Airdrie, in your workplace, if we do not grow in nor live from a heavenly mindset. Colossians 2.3 Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what are your greatest struggles right now? What's going on in your life right now that, that seems so big that's almost taking you over? What are your biggest fears right now? What crisis are you facing? Where are your eyes fixed? Where are they? Where are your eyes looking? Where is your gaze? Where, where is your confidence? Are they looking up at the Father? Or are they distracted by your circumstance? If they are, that's okay. If, you've, if your eyes have gazed off course, that's okay. Just, just bring them back. Just bring them back. Maybe you aren't facing any kind of trials or crisis right now. That's okay. They'll come. Okay? All right. Paying attention. It's true. They'll come. Our heads aren't in the sand. Okay, but even so, right now, where are your eyes fixed? Where are they looking? Are they heaven bound? I want to ask something of you. I'm going to get you to stand if you respond to this. If you're here this morning and you want to make this this commitment that no matter what happens in, in your life, 
no matter how bad it may seem to earthly lenses, through the ups and through the downs, that you want to commit today that you are going to live with eyes fixed on heaven. And if your eyes have gazed off course for, for the past season, that's okay. Just bring them back. Today's your chance. Okay, if that's you, if you want to commit that you're going to, your eyes will start focusing and fixing in and, and gazing toward the Father, and that your focus will be grounded in heaven. If that's you, I would like you to stand up right now. I want to pray over you. If that's you. For those of you sitting down, it's awesome. Your eyes are fixed on heaven. That's great. I'm going to pray over you and then get the rest to stand. Father, I thank you that you are our helper. Lord, we know that trials are coming, crises are here, but you're greater than all that stuff. Father, we are here in your midst who want to be people who wear heaven's glasses and are fixed toward heaven and fixed towards you. Lord, may our eyes, those who are standing, may all of our eyes be fixed on the Father, on you. And that we would not turn our gaze to the left or to the right, but we would walk on water as Peter did. And Lord, as, as we put our eyes on you, build that confidence and that security in Christ and that love that comes from the Father. It doesn't matter what trials we face. We know that you are our protector and the lover of our soul. So Lord, bless all of those here. The rest of you can stand as well. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for every single person in this place. And Lord, would we be people who just hunger after you? That we would hunger and thirst after righteousness because only then will we be filled. Thank you, Lord. So Lord, just pour your presence upon every person here. And that you'd be the protector of their soul. You would bless them with work. You would bless them with their biggest need right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're our provider. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday.